part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 15. Uh, Actually, we're going to start in 14, then we're going to go to 16 really, really quickly. But you can go, you know, kind of where we were before in Mark 14 to begin with. But we'll be in the Gospel of Mark. Question. And this is one of those questions that's not really a rhetorical question. Uh, You can actually respond. Don't be afraid to get this wrong, because I don't know that anybody's going to pinpoint this. But in this Word of God, in this Bible that we hold, how many promises of God do you think that there are? Not just the promises of man, but the promises that God has made to us. Anybody just take a guess of of how many? Okay, somebody said 2,000, okay? I do like the prices right kind of thing, you know. Okay, we need to go higher. We need to go a little bit higher. See, there's the smart guy, 3,000. You know, he just goes, okay, 2,000, we've got to go higher, let's go with 3,000. You know, how many? They're, you're actually really quick now, or really almost right on there. You know, they've tried to really, and you would think that as much as we've studied the Bible over the last 2,000 years, that there would be a precise number. And yet, what really qualifies as a promise? And so the minimum number that we have as, as far as the trusted number that I would be able to say through trusted theologians is over 3,500. I think 3,574 is you know, exactly what one theologian counted. Some would go up as much as 5,000. They start to include these little things. I'm going, okay, is that a promise or is that just a statement? Bottom line, guys, bottom line, though, is that there's over 3,500 promises that are in the Word of God. And some of those are very practical ones, very much other ones very theological in its nature. For example, in 1 John 1, 9, we see that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we really are kind of burdened by that load of sin on our lives, I mean, we go to that and we're going, okay, this is a promise, not that I made because of my feeling, but this is made on what Christ declares by His victory. The reason I'm bringing that promise up because everything this morning that we're going to do focuses on the finished promises of Christ through the resurrection. We started a couple of weeks ago and we were looking in Mark chapter 14 and we've been following along in Mark for the last couple of weeks, kind of a, a road to the cross. And we finally get to the cross into an empty tomb today. And so in one way we've kind of concluded that journey. But as we get to the end, we get to the most important part. Did Jesus keep his promises? Now, if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks or about three weeks ago when we first kind of uh, talked about Christ being the promise breaker in a world of promise keeper and a world of promise breakers, let me refresh your memory in John, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. Let me set the stage a little bit. It's uh, that last night before Christ is arrested. He's meeting with his disciples. And as he meets with his disciples, he tells them that he's going to be crucified, buried, and that he will rise on the third day. The disciples hear that, even though this is by far not the first time that Christ had ever said, and they just kind of rebel against that. One person, as we looked three weeks ago, in in particular, Peter. Peter said, you know, look, I don't know about these other guys, but I will not fail you. I'm going to be there for you. I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I will never turn away from you. And we talked three weeks ago about how sincere Peter was. We really feel like he was 100% sincere. But we found out one thing, that we can be sincere 
And sometimes we can be sincerely wrong. The sincerity, you know, we put so much, we almost try treat sincerity in this culture as an idol. That, okay, as long as you feel it, it should be right. Well, no. Christ said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And yet, even in the face of that, in the face of Old Testament prophecy, Peter says, no, I'm not, it's not going to happen. Let, let's go visit that again. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. The words of Christ. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. How many will fall away? All. And then he quotes from Zechariah, from the Old Testament, this prophecy that was given hundreds of years previously that he's quoting there. And he says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In the midst of that discouraging word, in that midst of that heavy word, he comes back and he says, look, but I make this, these two promises. Yes, I will go to the cross. I will be crucified. I will die. But here's what I promise. I will rise from the dead. And I'll see you in Galilee. He makes personal promises to those disciples that are there. Then comes the test of time. Now, guys, have you ever noticed how easy it is to make a promise? I mean, words, I guess maybe that's where we get that phrase, that, that words are cheap and promises sometimes are cheap, that we can just say, okay, I promise to do this, promise to do that. But sometimes the hardest part, the most expensive part of a promise is coming back and actually keeping that and seeing it through. Well, Christ makes this promise. And even though Peter emphatically denies that this could happen to him, we find that he does fall. And eventually we see both the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Christ. And now comes the time of the testing of those promises. Talk is cheap. Promises can be cheap. And now the time comes in this story, in this event, this actual true account, where we can say, okay, Christ, can you back up what you said, that you were going to be you know, crucified and that you were going to be buried. This has happened. But now this, this other part, <laughs> you promised us two things, that you would rise from the dead and that you would see us in Galilee. Look what happens. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. By this time, as we turn a couple of chapters over, Christ has died. He's been buried in that tomb. He's now in a, that borrowed tomb. The soldiers are guarding that tomb. Because they were kind of, you know, the, even the officials had heard uh, that he was supposed to rise from the dead. And they said, go guard the tomb so that the disciples can't come and steal the body. And then kind of make this whole story that he rose from the dead. So everybody's on watch. Both the believers and the skeptics. Everybody kind of anticipation. Will he keep his promises? Mark chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now I want you to notice something in these verses. Pay careful attention there. Are they showing great love? Are these ladies that come to the tomb of Christ, are they sharing, sharing in just an amazing amount of love and care? Yeah. Oh, would you say that they are showing great faith? I think a lot of people would start to shake their head yes. But in a way they are, but in a way they're not. I, I think it's more love than faith. Because what are they bringing? 
You can go ahead and say it out loud. Yeah, they're, 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 he's been buried. They're going to anoint his body. When do you anoint a body? When it's dead. And yet he's made this promise that he's going to rise on the third day. Now, is it incredible love? Is it incredible faithfulness? Yes. And yet, faithfulness to kind of Christ and following him, but really, is it faithfulness to the story of Christ and to the promise of Christ? I mean, in one way, I'm I'm not standing in judgment of these ladies. I'm just saying they come in anticipation of a dead body to anoint, and yet he said that he would rise from the dead. And somewhere in there, there's this kind of this conflicting message, okay, is he going to be dead or alive? Now that I say that, I don't stand in judgment of that because that's kind of the crisis that I feel every day. Some theologians have called it the crisis of the belief. That you hear the word of God, you hear a promise of God, and you want to believe it, and yet things happen in your life, and all of a sudden there's this crisis of your own belief. First John 1, 9, when he says that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you have ever kind of claimed that promise before? Yeah, a lot of us. And yet maybe three days later, four days later, that same sin, not that you recommitted that sin, but that torment, that guilt is still there from that sin from four or five or six or seven days. Do you see the conflict? A promise made, and we put faith in that promise. Christ, I know you will forgive. And yet we carry guilt around a week later, a month later, years later. In my former church, from time to time, as we would preach through Scripture, uh, Scripture would lead us to uh, things like the sanctity of life. And on those days, I would address a very, very touchy subject, and that was ladies who had uh, had an abortion in the past. And I was, because of counseling, I, I was aware of a couple ladies in our church. They had shared that story with me. And so I would just phone them ahead and say, look, you know, this is coming up Sunday. I'm certainly not telling you, you know, not to come. I want you to hear the hope of Christ. But I also want you to not be blindsided because out of all the different sins that I, I, I've seen us all commit, and they're all equal, that's the one that really seemed just to weigh on these ladies. They would come grieving knowing that Christ would forgive them, and yet still have this heaviness. It's amazing, conflicting emotions and truth. So what do we go with? Our emotions or do we go with truth? I mean, these ladies, they had confessed their sin, and they came, and they believed that Christ would forgive them. And yet, on the anniversary of that date, as they would play that back in their mind, even 20 or 30 years later, they would feel the heaviness of that in their lives. Perhaps you've done the same thing with your sin. I certainly have done it with my sin. So how do we handle that conflict? Sometimes people just go with emotions. Hey, today I'm happy Christian. And those are good days when we're happy Christian days. Okay. But what about this? Have you ever been a Christian and yet it's not a happy day? I mean, do we just ride up and down, guys, up and down? Is our faith really that vulnerable to the winds of our own emotions and even to the events of our lives? If you looked at many of our lives, we would have to honestly say yes. I think that's where they are here. I cannot even begin to imagine 
these Marys and, and then the other ladies who are coming, they're coming out of great love. Like we asked with Peter a couple of weeks ago, was he sincere? Yes. If we asked, do these women love Jesus? We would say yes, 100%. And yet they come bringing anointing, balm, expecting a Savior that has not risen. Why did they come that? Because of just terrible faith? No, because they saw him crucified. They saw him die. And they saw him buried. Promise of God. The reality of life. And the two come crashing together. Is that your life? Because it is my life. That is my life, guys. I knew Christ from 12 years on studied His Word. I believe His promises. And yet, in my life, the promises of God, the realities of life, and they come crashing together to see who's going to be the victor on that day. My circumstances are the foundational promises of a victorious Christ. And I would love to stand here before you today and say, well, as you're a pastor, I actually have a record of 99 and 1. You know? And I would not be able to profess that this morning. I would not be able to say that honestly before you. Sometimes those realities of life come and they batter at those promises. So what happens here? Look at verse 3 and 4. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. They said, how are we going to get in here and anoint the body? This this big stone is there. They get there and it's actually already removed. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. For the most part, we understand this to be an angel sent from God, a representative of God sent there to declare this message. Verse 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, whom was crucified. You get the play on words here? You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was what? Crucified. When you're crucified, what happened to you? You died. Okay? It wasn't just a means of kind of a slap on the wrist. Crucifixion ended in one way. Death. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. I love how the Gospel of Matthew says this. He's not here. He is risen just as he said. He made a promise to you. And the first part of that promise is that he would rise again. And this angel conveys this message to these ladies who come in full love and yet in kind of a a stumbling faith like we have stumbling faith. And they come and they're ready to anoint a dead body and yet they find that there's no body there. Why? Because he has risen just as he said. The realities of life is you don't die and then just come back. But he did. 
See, sometimes our mind, as much as we want to grasp these promises, as much as we want to say, man, this is what the Bible says, and I believe it, and that settles it. When the realities of life come in, sometimes it may be scientific. Other times it may be emotional. Other times it's relational. But we're going, okay, you know, God, you promised this, but yet everything that I feel, everything that I think, and everything that I kind of know by experience is pointing me in the other direction. I imagine that these ladies, you know, really kind of felt a lot of those things this day. And so this angel of God this makes a statement for God and says, He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now look at verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you notice that again? Now, there's a, another kind of an interesting thing here. Do you notice anything particular about this statement? And Peter. Now, John Mark is writing this. They say that Peter did kind of help him write this. But, you know, who's the one that maybe out of all the disciples at this point, after three denials, would really be struggling in his faith in the reality of what has happened, that the promise has been kept, that the risen Christ is truly alive? Probably Peter. And I think, I mean, is this not a great God that we have? Is this not a personal God? Hey, go, go tell those guys and Peter, because I know Peter's really struggling right now. I know Peter right now is feeling the weight of the world of guilt upon his shoulders. Will you go tell those guys and Peter, will you go tell them that he's going to see you in Galilee just like he said? A promise keeper in a world filled with promise breakers. This is our hope, guys. This is our hope. Not our emotions. Not our logical thinking. Not scientific fact. Look, I I realize that sometimes people say, well, you know, the facts say, the facts say that when you die, you don't come back from the dead. And yet he lives again. And he kept his promise. We begin to look at this and we begin to see that... uh, He's going to keep that promise. Two promises made, two promises kept. I will rise from the dead. I will meet you in Galilee. And he keeps those promises. I can imagine that the ladies, you know, as they were experiencing all this, it was a little bit surreal. But we find out, look at verse 8. I think we can relate to this verse. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. I guess so. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Question. Had they seen the truth? Go ahead and commit, yes or no. Yes, they had seen the truth. (laughs) Did just seeing the truth all by itself alleviate every fear and every problem in their life? No. See, again, here's the crux of life, guys. Here's the reality of fallen people in a fallen world. It won't be this way in heaven. Amen? It won't be this way in heaven. But when we're trotting this side, we can see truth, we can experience truth, and yet sometimes our faith is still kind of lagging behind a little bit. They see the truth, and yet they're still afraid. Maybe overwhelmed. Maybe that word is directed to you know, just being overwhelmed that they were expecting you know, Christ to be there and they had a job to do. And now he's risen. They had witnessed the truth, and yet they were still afraid. 
Confession. Guys, I've witnessed the truth. As a 12-year-old, again, Christ opened up my eyes. It wasn't me coming to the cross. It was Christ pursuing me. At 12 years old, he opened my eyes to the beauty of the gospel, to the riches of his love, to every one of these truths. And yet, there have been times in my life to put my faith and my total trust in that, there's been times I've been afraid. Can you relate? See, it's an amazing thing when God you know, promises you wellness and wholeness and you know, victory in life, and yet the doctor says, well, you have cancer. When it says, I will supply all your needs, and yet we get this bill that was unexpected, that is overwhelming, that may devastate our finances to the point where we, we have no clue of how we're going to pay for this. Somebody makes a promise and a commitment. I will love you forever, better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness and health. And one day he comes home and says, you know, I love you. I just, I'm not in love with you anymore. I hate that statement. It's the reality of life, guys. And you can love Jesus. And notice you can see the truth. And yet, until faith is enacted and placed on that, you can be filled with fear. You can be afraid. It's not just the women. You can't say, well, that's the women, you know. They were kind of emotional. Carly's teaching the back, so I can say that. But, uh, it's going to be a fun Easter now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Look down at verse 11. Down at verse 11. It's not just the women. It's these men. Even the men that have committed their lives and said, we will not turn from you. We will be faithful. Verse 11. But when they heard it, that is, they, they came, the women came back, told the news to the disciples that he was alive and had been seen by her. They would not believe it. And you know, if you go back in the Gospels, time after time after time, this wasn't something that Jesus said once or twice, folks. The, the Gospels are filled with the times that Christ would reveal to them the truth. Here's what's going to happen. I've come for this specific purpose. Nothing is going to thwart this purpose and for me to fulfill this. I've come to seek out those that are lost and to die a ransom death for their forgiveness so that they might be united with a God forever. He told them that time and time again. I will die on a cross. And they could not grasp that. And even when it happened, they still have this shaky faith. They're afraid. You can read it up here on the board, or you can turn over John chapter 20, verse 8 and 9. Listen to what Peter and John do when they hear this news. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. And if we stopped right there, we're going, okay, good. Finally, one of these disciples is seeing and he's believing. You know what he's seeing and believing? That the body is gone. Because look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm going, thick skull, come on. How many times have I told you? Time and time, this was like point A of the lesson. We always came back to this. I always told you I would die for the sins 
and I would be raised on the third day. Guys, this was the foundational message that I taught you. And yet, they run to the tomb. They see an empty grave. And it says that they believe. What do they believe? They believe, the women, that it was empty. Duh. But as yet, they did not grasp the fullness of that promise. Again, this is our dilemma, guys. Even in Christianity, it's that the promise has been made, and, and yet sometimes we don't grasp the fullness of the promise. But, but I want you to know today that you know, what happened on Easter morning, Resurrection Day, allows us to jump entirely in. Even when it looks like the facts are pointing the other way, even when the emotions are looking the other way, when we don't feel like it, when Christ said, it is finished, guess what, guys? It was finished! When he says, you confess this and I'll forgive you, guess what? He's forgiven. And when he says, I will supply your every need, guess what? He's going to supply your every need. Maybe not every want, but every need. When he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, even in your most lonely of moments, and those come even to Christians that love Jesus and know truth, you can count that when the emotion and the feeling is not there, that Christ has not turned his back on you. We see this even in the life of David in one of the Psalms. God, will you, will, you, will you never smile upon me again? Will you never listen to my prayers? Will you never again shine your face upon me? David. He's kind of one of those big, important guys in the Old Testament. Kind of an incredible faith. You go up against some giant with a couple you know, stones and a slingshot. That's pretty incredible faith. And yet, there were times in David's life that he didn't feel like God was there. And you know what brought David back? If we read through Psalms like Psalm 77 and some of those, what brings him back is, but I remember that you're a faithful God. I'm not going to go with my feelings at the moment. I'm going to remember your faithfulness of the past, that you're the same God that took that Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was approaching the Israelites and you opened it up and they walked across in dry land. That's the God that you are. And sometimes, guys, that's what we need in our lives. The emotion is not there. The facts don't seem to be there. And we need to remember, no, you are the God of Abraham and Jacob. You are the God that opened up the Red Sea. You are the God that opened up and provided food for millions of Jewish people as they were in that wandering time. And their shoes did not wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. Sometimes we just need to remember those basics of the promises of God in the Old Testament that have now been completely fulfilled in the life of Christ in the New Testament. I want you to understand, guys. You know, there's 3,574, if that's, we're going to go with that particular one, from, from Genesis to Revelation, every promise that we find in here from God, they all rise and fall on the resurrection. Every one of them. Well, Bobby, some of these are not really related to, you know, directly forgiveness of sin. No, every promise of God, every promise of God rises and falls on this event. Either he is a promise maker, 
without being a promise keeper, or he's a promise maker, and he's kept his promise. Have you ever built a house of cards? And if the slightest wind comes, or somebody comes out, oh, that's pretty cool. What happens if you pull this card out? (laughs) And the whole thing comes tumbling down? (laughs) In in a way, I don't want to trivialize these promises, over 3,500 promises, but in a way, it really is this house of cards that's built upon this one event in human history when Christ would die and he made a promise that he would rise again. Every promise of God rides on that. And you take that out, guys, and I promise you, every other promise, as well-meaning as it could have been, it falls. Well, Christ's resurrection is one of many promises. It's the promise that everything rests upon. Without the resurrection, there is not forgiveness of sin. Without the resurrection, there is not rest for the weary. You know when Christ said, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? And that sounds good. How many of you have prayed that one before? Man, you're overwhelmed and you just, that's all you had was Christ, I'm coming to you and I'm just sitting in your lap because I just need rest. And only the kind of rest that you can give me. And we bank everything on that. Even though that doesn't seem to be directly related to the resurrection. Folks, it is. It all rises and falls here. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, do you expect heaven one day? Yeah. Rises and falls on the the resurrection. For Paul said, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, guess what, guys? There is no resurrection for us. This is not little. This is major. This is foundational. It's the central point of all human history that we celebrate today. That Christ made promises as intimate as I will be buried and die, but I will rise again and I will see you in Galilee. I'll see you in Galilee. And he did. Paul, in reflection of this and so many other things, it's actually, uh, you know, I always want to keep the the text in in mind and in context there. Paul was trying to uh, prove to the Corinthians that he really loved them because the rumor had gotten out that maybe that he wasn't going to come visit them because he had another church to go visit or something. So the context of what I'm about to read to you is in a particular situation. And yet, what Paul does to prove the truthfulness of, of his statement to the Corinthians, he comes back to the promises of God. And here's what he says, First, uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty, and then we'll close this morning. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And who do you think the him is? Yeah. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That's this morning. That's this morning. That every promise that God has ever made finds its yes and its amen in Christ Jesus. So in those dark nights when we're going, oh man, I just really feel alone. That maybe God has even abandoned me. That we can go back to his word when he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When we feel illness come upon us and, and the heaviness of cancer, 
that we can come and say, no, God, you have healed me. Maybe it's not going to be a physical healing, but certainly our soul and our spirit rejoices even in the midst of that. Why? Because we know, okay, God, you have taken away my biggest trouble, my biggest sickness, and that was my sin. And then many times God is going to heal through that. Well, we have living testimonies of people that have been cured of cancers, of this and that. This is not trivial. It's not because, man, what incredible technology we have this day. Because God is faithful to his promises. Every promise that Christ has ever made, yes and amen in the finished work of Christ. And so that's going to be our victory song as we go out today. We're just going to say amen. These things we believe, and sometimes our emotions are going to get the best of us, and sometimes facts may seem to outweigh the promise of God. All these different things are going to be in confrontation, and they're going to combat with one another. But this we know. Christ our Lord is risen just as he said. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we thank you for the the promises. Father, we thank you for the personal promises. Father, I love how, how it points out in Scripture. Hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. How overwhelming is that? That maybe the man who was struggling the most, the one that felt the most frail in that moment, that, that Father, this angel that you sent to proclaim your truth. Hey, you, you go tell those disciples and Peter that he's risen just as he said. Father, I pray today that you would allow us to know that these promises you've made are to the believer. Father, we don't put ourselves, as as Christians, we don't put ourselves higher than somebody else because we know that it is by grace that we've been saved, not of our works, but by what you have done through Christ. But Father, I would not want a single person to go from this place thinking that just because we live in America or because we're human, that all these promises are true to us. Father, these promises are true for those who are found in Christ Jesus. But Father, here is your good news. We thank you that you've made that good news available to all. And so, Father, for someone this morning who is struggling with uh, a sin from the past, maybe a week ago, a month ago, years ago, Father, let them know through Christ this morning that if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have removed our sins as far as the east from the west, and there is new life in you. Father, no matter what somebody drug in here from the past Father, I pray today that you would let them know that truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17, Father, that they can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Father, for the believer this morning, Father, I, I pray that they would understand that we can love and we can see truth and yet sometimes still have shaky feet. And Father, there's times that we feel fear coming upon us even though we love you and we've seen truth Father let us run to the cross and to an empty tomb so that our faith can be renewed and we would mount up on wings of eagles Father thank you 
that the weight of your promise, the, the truthfulness, the veracity of that promise, Father, is not dependent about our goodness, but about your faithfulness. And so, Father, we end this morning by singing collectively, strongly, believing in this great truth and saying yes and amen to every promise that you've made. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.